you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Just honor the Lord this morning with praise. Honor Him today. He's worthy. He's worthy. God, you're worthy. Wow. What a powerful presence of God is in this house today. I'm going to tell you, CLC, we are blessed. Wow. Sister Jen, wow. Sister Cheryl, wow. Sister Ashley, wow. Music team, frontline, choir. And these are some hardworking folks, and you ought to once in a while encourage them. They come early and rehearse and lead us into the throne room. I'm so have so many guests this morning. Thank you for being here today. Brother and Sister Cox, all the way from Florida. It's always good to have you with us. Amen. Amen, amen. All, all of our guests, of course, Sister Chelsea's family, Sister Kathleen's with us today. I look around, I see guests that chapter 6, and I'm going to begin with verse number 1. All week, all of the ministers have come forward, and they have thanked people, and I do feel like this morning that before I get into the word of the Lord, I need to just say thank you to so many people that have worked so hard over the last few days. We simply could not so many guests, guest ministers, 
this week so many dinners, those of you working behind the scenes, and uh, my wife and I uh, appreciate all of your labor, and uh, we have an incredibly hardworking team, and I look around at all of those on Friday night, um, those who stayed and helped us, and we were back here at the church at 2 a.m. say thank you to all of you. Sister Nancy Emery has been sick, and uh, it took a whole team of people to do what she does every week, several times a week, just to keep this place cleaned up, and I appreciate every volunteer, and I'm not going to call all of the names, but um, we'll do that at another time, but I do want to say thank you to all of those that worked so very hard, and Sister Cheryl, we could Sister Cheryl Gilder, we could not do what we do or be who we are without Sister Cheryl and Brother Danny and all of their work and labor. And all the other ministers have done this, and I know that I'm just a pastor here, and I'm in this pulpit all the time, but I'm going to tell you that I couldn't do what I do without my wife and all the hard work that she has put in, and so I honor her this morning. God's not done. God is not done, and the best is yet to come, and you're not going to want to miss tonight. Pastor Brian Lane is going to be with us, and just a little heads up, he is canceling his service and telling his people to come join with us tonight, and so we're going to have a great crowd and a good time in the Lord this evening at 6 p.m., and I hope you can be there. Amen. Mark chapter 6. I feel the Lord has spoken a word into my spirit, and I want to deliver what he has, and I need his help this morning. Mark chapter 6, verse number 1. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works were wrought by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they are offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Verse 6, and this is what I'm drawing from this morning. And he marveled. Everybody say marveled. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. By the help of the Lord, I'm going to preach into your hearing today. What makes God silent? What makes God silent? Would you pray for the help of the Lord? God, I pray right now that your spirit, I pray for strengthening of my voice this morning. Lord, I pray for an opening of all of our minds, for a sharpening of my minds and a help with my words today. And God, where my, where my words fall short, I pray that your spirit brings life and speaks to the minds of people. God, not the words that I speak, but what the spirit expressly says to the heart of every person in this room this morning. God, only you can touch a person's heart. And I pray that you do just that today. 
Lord, I humble myself at your feet today, and you do what only you can do. I, your servant this morning, need your help, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated again. I wonder if I was to come to each of you, not putting pressure on anybody this morning to answer me openly, but if I was to come to each of you privately and ask you, has God ever spoken to you? How many of you could answer with an affirmative that God has indeed spoken? For those of you that understand the voice of God may come in a multiplicity of ways to each person. Everybody, God may speak to you in a different way than he speaks to someone else. But for those of us who know that we have heard the voice of God from time to time, maybe never an audible voice, maybe some have. But for those of you that understand the gentle nudge, the whisper of God, when God comes and speaks in a way, maybe he reveals it to us through a sign, through a testimony, maybe through a song, through a message, by reading his word, maybe in prayer when an emotion or feeling comes over us and we recognize it as the Spirit of the Lord impressing a word upon us. Or maybe it is the audible voice of God that someone has actually heard and feels that God has spoken specifically to them. In Scripture, it was handwritings on the wall or even words that came from animals such as donkeys. God does speak. And I believe God speaks to every person if we are open to hear what He is saying to us. God has spoken to me, He's spoken to me many times. As a matter of fact, I believe God spoke to me regarding the message that I'm preaching to you today, yet I never heard His audible voice. Although some of you would find it strange if I told you the visitation that my wife and I had last night. God speaks. And He speaks in ways sometimes that leaves us in awe and questioning of wow. Why here? Why now? God, what is it that you're saying? And then there are seasons. I've been there, and maybe many of you have been there, when the silence of God is deafening. When we go through long seasons that we do not hear from God. We read His Word, but it seems like my mind can't comprehend what the Spirit is speaking into my spirit. We hear a message, but it seems that it just didn't resonate with me. We pray, but it feels like our prayer bounces back from the ceiling. Maybe, as they say, the heavens are brass and God is not hearing my prayer. Is how it seems and how it feels. We all go through those seasons when God's voice is silent. But I do believe that God has a word for every person. If we will take the time and listen, God made man with a plan from the very beginning to commune with him, and he did so in the garden. He walked with Adam in the garden in the cool of the evening. I believe he conversed with him just like you and I. When you came in today and spoke to someone and said, hey, how are you? What's going on? Maybe shared a story or shared a, a hurt, a fear, a doubt. Maybe some of you talked about how you were feeling. When I walked in from my office this morning and stepped in, I stepped over to Brother Jerry who had an accident this week. How are you? And we conversed for a moment about his tragedy. I believe that God talked with Adam in the same identical way as he walked with him in the garden in the cool of the evening. Because God's plan with man has always been to have communication and relationship with him. 
The scripture is replete with stories of God speaking. In the beginning, it was his voice that spoke the world into existence. God spoke and the waters divided. He spoke and the sun brought forth light. God spoke and creation responded. But God didn't speak man into existence. He formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And God always has had a desire to communicate with mankind. God does speak. Ezekiel 12 declares, For the Lord will speak, and whatever he speaks, he will perform. In Exodus, the Lord spoke to Moses. In Genesis, God spoke to Noah. The psalmist declared the voice of God as he spoke unto his people. He spoke to them in a pillar of cloud. He spoke to them from above the mercy seat about 27 times in the scripture. We could talk about God expressly speaking to his people. And then he spoke to other things like the wind and the waves, and they obeyed. Joel declared the voice of God roared from Zion, and he utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth trembles, he says, at the voice of the Lord. Amos declared that the Lord has spoken. Zechariah writes about a time when God would speak, but the people would not listen. Job concurs by saying, indeed, God speaks once or twice, and yet nobody notices the voice of God. The writer of the book of Acts declares that God spoke in ancient times by the prophets of old. Hebrews declares that he speaks expressly to the church through Jesus Christ. But you and I do know today, that he speaks to us by the power of the Holy Ghost. I don't know about you. I think I do. I think I know why you're here this morning because every person in this room somehow has a desire to communicate with God because he created us this way. There's nothing strange. There's nothing odd. God created man to communicate with man. I don't know about you, but I want to hear the voice of God when he speaks to me. And I want to respond to whatever it is that God is saying to me. Over the last 40 days, this church has been praying and fasting We have been using a daily prayer journal that my wife and others work to put together, Sister Cheryl and Sister Chelsea, assisting and helping. We've been using this prayer journal to walk through this 40-day journey. And part of this journey has included a time every day for us to stop talking and for us to listen to the voice I fear that so often our prayers sound more like us giving the Lord orders to God. These are all the list. This is my list of things I want you to do. God, I want you to heal. I want you to touch. I want you to work. I want you to bless. Do this. Do that. And we spend all of our energy and time ordering God around rather than following the real pattern of prayer when we say, God, whatever it is that you want to do, I want you to do it. And in order for me to know what it is you want to do, I want to hear your voice. But I feel like like we get so busy asking God that we can't hear him speaking to us. I want to listen and I want to hear the voice of God when he speaks into my life. I want to know what God is doing. In our text, Jesus was in his own country with his very own disciples, the 12, that he chose himself. 
they left nets and jobs, occupations to walk and to follow him. He's in his own country, among his own kinsmen, with his own disciples, and he goes to the synagogue, similar to the modern day church, and he comes there, and he walks into the church, and he begins to teach them. He begins to talk to them. He begins to describe to them the themes of the scripture. He begins to do miracles and to work. Our text describes to us a very unique a very unique outcome of what transpires. There were a multitude of people there. Many were hearing him, and they were astonished at the things that he was saying. And then they began to ask among themselves, from whence hath this man all of this wisdom? Where are the things that he is speaking? Where are they coming from? Who has given him the authority? Who has given him the power? Who is speaking such wisdom to us? Even the mighty works that he is doing at his hands, where the dead are raised, the blind eyes are open, all of the miracles. How, where, how could this be possible? Then their questions turns to contempt. And they begin to say to themselves, Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary? Isn't this the brother of James and Joseph and, and Judah and Simon? Are, are, are not his sisters here with him? Who does he think he is? Jesus speaks a simple word to them, and he just says, a prophet's not without honor, except when he's in his own country, among his own kin, and in his own home. Any preacher in this room this morning can understand and know exactly what that means. I can come from a thundering revival. I can come from a point of prayer. God can speak to me and I'm asked to go preach somewhere. Maybe I'm speaking for a, for a friend in a, in, a, in a church far away somewhere. Maybe I'm preaching in a conference somewhere or ministering somewhere. And, and, and people seem to be hanging on my every word. And I'm speaking to them what God has spoken to me. And I'm, I'm prophesying to them. And then I come home. And I'll start telling my family about all the things that's going on. And sometimes they're like, yeah, Dad. Uh, can we go eat? But it was even worse for Jesus. For they started even questioning everything. Isn't this just the son of the carpenter? The Bible said that he couldn't do mighty works. The only thing he did was he he laid hands on a few sick folk and, and, and they were healed. But the mighty works, I mean as if that's not mighty. The mighty works, he, he couldn't do. So the wondrous things that he couldn't do. And then verse 6 says, he marveled at their unbelief. Everybody say he marveled. He marveled at their unbelief. That word marveled in the Greek simply means overwhelming, amazement, or astonishment. The reaction to marveling would be to gasp or to be left without words. He marveled at their unbelief. He was left without words. He saw their unbelief and it caused Jesus himself to gasp in, amaze, in amazement. Imagine that God in the flesh was left without words in amazement because of their unbelief. Unbelief causes God to be silent. There's another place in Scripture where the same Greek word is used in an account with Jesus when he met the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. 
Jesus has entered into Capernaum. And there came to him a centurion. And the centurion was calling for him or beseeching him, the King James Version says, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, and he's grievously tormented in this sickness. And Jesus said unto him, listen, I'm going to come with you, and I'm going to go to your house, and I'm going to heal him. And the centurion said, oh, wait. No. No, Lord. I, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house and to come under my roof. But Lord, if you would just speak the word, my servant shall be healed. And when Jesus heard it, verse number 10 says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. Only two times in scripture did Jesus marvel. The first time he marveled at their unbelief. But here with the centurion, Jesus marvels. He's left without words because he has not seen, he has not found such great faith. You want to know what God makes God silent? It's when he marvels at people's unbelief. But he also becomes silent when he finds people with great faith. Because it is a rarity to find somebody that should not know him. But declares, you don't even have to come on location. But if you'll let your voice speak, God, your voice thunders the heavens. And by your voice... You can heal. So eventually the centurion says, I have not found so great faith. No, not in what? Not in Israel. (laughs) Every word is important right here. Stay with me. I haven't found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Watch, where did the Roman centurion get the concept that Jesus could speak a word and it could happen? Where did a Roman centurion come up with the idea that Jesus, a Jew, would be able to heal? Where did it come from? He certainly didn't get the concept from the Jews. He certainly didn't walk through the streets of Nazareth and get it because he he couldn't find this kind of faith among his own people. He couldn't find it anywhere in Israel. As a matter of fact, I haven't found this kind of faith anywhere in Israel, Jesus says. But a Roman centurion, a government-employed soldier that was sent to carry out the deeds of the Roman Empire, he comes, without a doubt, covertly to where Jesus was, and he speaks to him. Where did this come from? Where did his knowledge come from? Where did his idea that Jesus could speak a word, where did it come from? It didn't come from his kinsmen because all they were saying about him is, oh, that's Mary's son. Ah, that's the carpenter's boy. Certainly not from those who were familiar with him because to them he was just the carpenter's son. Those familiar with him said, ah, nah, that's the lad with sawdust on his clothes. That's just the boy that plays with his brothers down the street and kicked the ball up and down outside of their daddy's carpentry shop. He's the kid down the street, the brother of James. And, and, And he's got a couple sisters. And I'm telling you, those sisters are something else and they're even offended at him. There's no way that the centurion heard it from his own people. This is why he couldn't do great miracles among them because those closest to him viewed him as ordinary. Those who were around him all the time viewed the things he was doing as ordinary. 
my God, I don't ever want to walk in the doors of this church building, sit on that front row, and they begin to sing, believe for it, and I'm not moved in my spirit. I don't ever want to come into a prayer meeting where the Holy Ghost is sweeping through, and I fluff it off like there's nothing to it. I want to weigh on every word and every moment. I don't want to get so accustomed to him that I get used to him, and I declare, oh, he was a baby in a manger. He was a savior that died on a cross. But I want you to know he's not dead. He is alive. He is here. He is in this room. He is still speaking. He couldn't do mighty works because they viewed him as ordinary. Not not the centurion. By, by nature, the Roman centurion shouldn't have known about his power. The centurion shouldn't have known about his ability to speak a word. You see, the Roman centurion didn't grow up around his teachings. They didn't grow up in the synagogue. That, that was for the Jews. He was a Roman. He didn't live there. He didn't get up every day and walk through the streets and hear them sing in heaven. Oh no. They didn't hear the words. He was a Roman centurion. He didn't grow up coming to church on the Sabbath day. He wasn't there at the wedding at Cana of Galilee when he told the servants, go get some water pots and fill them up. He wasn't there to see him turn the water into wine. He wasn't there when the withered hand. He wasn't there when the blind eyes were open. He wasn't there by the pool of Siloam. He wasn't there. He was a Roman. He's there on nothing but business. He wasn't overly familiar with his miracles. But somehow, somewhere, the centurion saw what others failed to recognize. It should have been his disciples that understood this. Master, you don't have to come. It should have been Mary and Martha that understood it. For they even said, Lord, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Because they're close to him. He walks up and down Galilee with them. He over Mount Moriah with them. He's close to them, but they are full of contempt and judgment against him. If you would have been here, but the centurion said, you don't even have to come to my house. All you have to do is speak a word. Oh, I hope this sets in somebody's spirit this morning. Somebody's been praying for your friend, your neighbor. Somebody's been praying for your loved one, and you're saying, God, you need to show up, and God is saying, I got a word. I got a word. I got a word. If you will believe me, I'll speak a word and I can do with a word what nobody else is going to ever do but showing up by a program, but something that is orchestrated. All we need is his word. Oh, somebody give God a shout of praise this morning. The centurion saw what others felt more than just Mary's baby. He's more than the carpenter's son. He saw something in him that others didn't comprehend. He heard the reports back in Rome about the man named Jesus. Maybe he was even sent on a mission to investigate what was happening among the large crowds. And he was one of the ones. He's the centurion. He's a Roman. That's who was there to come and to take him in the end. They were on a mission to destroy him and to put him out of commission. But even someone that is sent by the enemy himself, don't you ever give up on somebody. It doesn't matter who walks in the doors of this building, what lifestyle they walk in, what background they walk in. Don't you count them out. It doesn't matter what 
the enemy intended. But when God speaks a word, when they are revealed a revelation of who Jesus is and the power of his spoken word, in a moment, in an instant, he can turn a Roman centurion into a first century apostolic Christian. Just speak the words. Master, anything is possible. Sometimes it seems like it's easier for the unfamiliar to recognize his power than it is for the familiar to recognize his mighty works. Those who watched him grow up, they just saw a dusty carpenter's son, Mary's baby. They, 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 they say familiarity breeds contempt. What they saw was too great for them to believe what they did not know. Because all they could see was the carpenter's son. So they couldn't believe. But what they did not know was wrapped up in that baby in a manger. Wrapped up inside that dusty kid walking out of a carpenter's shop was the holy God of heaven that had indwelt him. That God had become flesh to walk among us. And the writer said, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They had an issue with it. They had a hard time recognizing who he was. But you and I ought to never get over the fact that he was conceived by a virgin. He was born in a manger. He was the unlikely to succeed. He didn't have any money, any fame, any fortune, any background but he was the holy God the Lord God Jehovah he was God in the flesh and he was the soon coming king he's the one we're looking for he is the great I am the everlasting father the prince of peace his name is Jesus and we ought to never get over it There's a third place in scripture where Jesus was silent. The gospel according to Matthew in the 27th chapter gives us an account of Jesus being brought before Pilate. And the 12th verse of that 27th chapter, when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, Bible said he answered them nothing. Pilate was so shook up by it that the scripture bears out that Pilate perhaps frantically yells at him when his wife said, have nothing to do with this. Pilate said, don't you hear the things that they are witnessing against you? Verse 14 of that 27th chapter of Matthew. And he answered them never a word. God's response to unbelief is silence. Particularly if the unbelief is slanderous against his very own. How often do we make God silent because of our unbelief? We bring a false witness against him with our very own words and our very own actions. We attack the nature of God's character when we say things like, nobody knows what I'm going through. It is an accusation against the character of God. He is all-knowing. And then we wonder why God goes silent in our life. Because he's silent for a season due to our unbelief. We declare God 
doesn't hear us. We claim the Lord has forsaken us. We say nobody feels what we feel. Nobody knows what we go through. Nobody understands the pain. And these negative words are false accusations against the very nature of God because he is God and everything the Bible tells us about him declares unto us that he has not forsaken us. His nature declares he hears our hearts cry. His nature declares that he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Hey, child of God, there's more to feeling a revival service. He is more than just the carpenter's son. He's more than just one that heals my headache. His name is Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. He can speak from right where he is into your situation, and he knows right where you are. Oh, somebody ought to receive that right now in Jesus' name. I hasten to a close. In Matthew, the 15th chapter, is the fourth passage that I want to pull together with you. The Bible says there is a woman of Cana who came unto him saying, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. At the 23rd verse of the 15th chapter, the only other time in scripture where he becomes speechless, the Bible said he answered her not a word. It must have taken great courage for this little Canaanite woman to come and to ask a Jew to help her. The Canaanites hated the Jews and the sentiments were returned. This tension goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. The Canaanites were known for offering human sacrifices and worshiping idols. They ate every type of meat like a dog would eat. Thus, we read in the scripture that connotation, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. So this Syrophoenician lady, this woman from Canaan, from a terrible background, from a long distance background, comes to Jesus for help. And she begs him, to heal her daughter and to deliver her. She didn't come from a culture that understood everything about Jesus. So, so how did she know that he was able to help her? Because those who were close to him, they didn't recognize who he was. The centurion did and now here this Canaanite woman comes, not from his culture. She didn't learn. She, didn't, she too didn't learn from those around Nazareth because to him he was just Mary's son. He was the son of the carpenter. He was the man with offended sisters. She didn't find out because his kinsmen told her they were all I believe that this Canaanite woman undoubtedly received a revelation of who Jesus was. So his silence didn't detour her. Against all odds, she runs to him, Master, my daughter is vexed. His silence didn't cause her to become vexed. Because somewhere she must have heard about his character. Somebody must have told him about her, about his nature. 
trying to say to you is you may have walked through a season of your life where God has been silent. You've prayed, but your healing hasn't come. You have hoped, but your deliverance hasn't come. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You have been searching, but it seems that there has been no answer because God is silent. There is one of two things. He is either marveling at your unbelief or he hasn't found anybody with such great faith. And how you respond reveals the matter of whether it's unbelief or great faith. When Jesus became silent with this Canaanite woman who had the daughter that was vexed, it didn't stop her because she had heard about his character. She had heard about his nature. I I believe she... I believe she knew that he was known to have mercy on those who were in need. Evidently, she knew something that others didn't know about him. She knew he was able to give grace to those who didn't deserve it. She knew something about his nature that said, "Ah, I haven't seen him go to the upty crowd too much, but I've seen him come to one that was down and out. I've seen him sit down with a sinner and and, and I've heard about him riding in the sand with one who should have been stoned. I heard about him when he went to the one that's been laid by a pool for 38 years. He didn't have anybody, but when he walked by, his nature said, no, I'm not going to leave them where they are. I'm coming to him. She knew he was able. She could have been offended by his response. she had heard that he would show up in times and in ways that others may not understand. This Canaanite woman's revelation of Jesus was greater than those disciples who had walked with him for three and a half years. It should have been the disciples that already knew this, but instead in contempt they look at Jesus and said, you want us to send her away? You want us to run her out of here? She, that's a Canaanite. She's a Seraphonician woman. Get, she's, do you know what she eats? She eats unclean things. Let's get rid of her. Jesus looks at the disciples. He didn't say a word to the woman. He turns to the disciples and he said, this is why I came. I didn't come for those in the king's palace. I didn't come from those who were already saved. I didn't come from those for those who were already healed. But I came for those from the, that were lost. I come to seek and to save that which was lost. Come on, somebody. The very reason you didn't just show up accidentally this morning and God didn't just come here for the saved folks today, but he came here because he knew somebody has been living in the silence of God for a long time and you've allowed his silence to cause you to question and wonder. But I came today to tell you that he's going to speak again. And when he speaks, everything changes. Watch her response. Jesus remains silent. turns and speaks to the disciples. The Bible tells us that this little Canaanite woman, that all she did was begin to worship. She began to worship. She began to worship and she worshiped. She came and worked. That ought to be our response to the silence of God. There's one of two reasons that God may be silent in your life. It's because of your unbelief or it's because of your great faith. But in either instance, get ready, God is about to speak again. I don't know about you, but I'm going to worship until he speaks again. 
I'm going to worship until I hear his voice again. That's why David said, hide not thy face from me, O Lord. Don't turn your face from me, O Lord. I want to hear your words. I want to hear what you've got to say in this season. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over the room. The altars are open if you feel the move today. Your worship during the silence of God may cause him to marvel but for a moment. But I came today to remind you that he's going to speak again. Our response this morning ought to be to come to his feet and worship him. And when she worshiped Jesus, next words were very similar to what we've already heard. Woman, great is thy faith. There it is, all wrapped up and packaged beautiful for you because your worship in the midst of silence declares great faith in the God of heaven and belief that he's going to speak again. I came up with a word for somebody in this room today. He may have been silent for a while in your life, but God is a about to speak again. Come on, let's respond to him right now. Come on, let's seek his face right now. open these altars today. If you're not already with us here in the front, there's room. I invite you to come and gather in this morning. If you have been walking through the silent times, if you've been walking and have not been hearing the voice of God in your life, I implore you this morning to respond in worship to what God is going to do in your future. Let me explain to you what happens because when you can worship, when you don't hear the voice of God, it confuses the enemy because he doesn't understand. And when the enemy is confused, he no longer has the ability to do anything to harm you in your life, but the voice of God is going to bring hope and deliverance and help to you this morning all over this room. Would you lift your hands toward heaven and would you seek his face right now? Come on, let's seek the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Speak again. He's going to speak again. Oh. 